Welcome to Concerning the Spiritual in Art, a podcast exploring spirituality, consciousness, and the creative process. I'm your host, Martin Benson. All right, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. I have an immensely special episode for you today with Barbara Broughton. Barbara is a former art curator, dealer, and gallerist from New York City for many decades, and has always been a huge champion for the spiritual and art. And our conversation today will not disappoint. Um, We not only talk about Barbara's sort of upbringing and sort of how she began her interest in spirituality and in the spiritual and art, but also how her time in New York sort of showed her that the sort of art world wasn't ready to talk about spirituality in relation to art for a long time, but how she's seeing that change dramatically today and how much that excites her. We talk a lot about just spirituality in general, spiritual practice, and how spirituality and art are go hand in hand with each other. She has such incredible insight, not only around the history of these sort of movements within art, but also insight about the landscape of the art world itself. Um, so I think there's just so much to sort of glean from this discussion. I think you all are going to enjoy it a lot. Uh, Barbara is just amazing and such a wonderful spirit to connect with in this way. And uh, I'm super excited to uh, share this episode for uh, share this episode with all of you. Um, so here you go, Barbara Broughton. All right, Barbara, welcome to the podcast. How's it going over there? It's pretty good, Martin. It's spring in Florida and it is gorgeous. I know the spring is popping here <laughs> no in New complaints. Orleans. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been like paying attention to the different sounds of the birds. I can tell the birds are coming back. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a beautiful yeah. time where we're, where we're at. And it, um, it really is right. We have a uh, Cardinals uh, and they pair for life uh, in the yard. So we have a pair uh, of Cardinals We've had peacocks come in, a, a, a herd or flock, whatever, whatever. you call them, peacocks. Yeah. Oh, it's... And uh, yeah, just all kinds of birds. We have a stream, so we've got a lot of river birds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, That's yeah, kind of how it's... it is here in New Orleans, too, with sort of like the wetlands yep. and stuff. But yeah, I'm just on this beautiful sort of burgeoning spring day. We get to be together and talk about things that we are both incredibly passionate about which is the spiritual and art my favorite subject me too me too so we find ourselves (laughs) in good company and um i'm just so grateful that i got connected to you through uh katie pilgrim at lifted lab she pointed me in your direction and as she does with lots of other artists and um just when we talked on the phone initially like it was just like kindred spirits like we were just on the same page about all of this. And so I think a good way for us to begin um, our episode together is to kind of talk a little about you and sort of your origins and sort of how you got into not only making art, but showing art. You're a gallerist in New York for many years, and you've been heavily invested in not only contemporary art, but also the spiritual in art. And I'm just curious, sort of like how that all sort of began for you. Okay. Um, well, I was uh, born in North Dakota and grew up there. And of course, the uh, sophisticated art world didn't exist at that time, <laughs> right? But I was an artist mm-hmm. uh, from the time I was a little kid. And and an artist at that time was determined by the fact that you could draw, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, so um that was my mindset always. I was identified as the artist, mm. you know, and um, I lucked out by having a fantastic art teacher from the time I was 10 years old until I graduated from high school uh, named Robert Moore. And he was a, a, a flamboyant individual who liked to wear white suits and red rhinestone jewelry, oh, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and he had everyone making art for 50 miles around from three years old to 100 you know wow and, and uh we went to a couple of us uh of his students went to a, my first museum experience was in winnipeg we're about we were about 100 miles from the border of of canada okay 
And we went to an exhibition, it was probably about 1961, to a Van Gogh show. Oh, wow. I still remember the paintings. And these were really the first paintings I'd ever seen, Man. right? Just the sculpture of the surface, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the radiant light, like, beaming into your <laughs> eyes. It was just, <laughs> as well as the uh, the sort of beautiful style of the ladies in Winnipeg, because they were kind of French-influenced, uh, mm -hmm. and it was marvelous, wow. that experience. So anyway, um, then I briefly went to the University of North Dakota and also had some very good experiences there art-wise. It was when we first drew from the model, mm -hmm. right? Model comes in and oh, sheds yeah. her all going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was really great. And I don't know if they teach model drawing anymore but we would do th the teacher would have us do things he was a great teacher like um the model had to change every 30 seconds mm -hmm. and you had to draw oh yeah and so you really get into anyway yeah the gesture drawing i love that i mean when i didn't i didn't get to draw from a model until i was in college and undergrad and uh it's it is an amazing experience once you get over the fact like oh they're naked bodies and stuff like Right. It's just form and line and shape, you know, okay. like value. Okay. It's beautiful. Well, I'm pleased to hear that, that you you did draw from the model. Mm -hmm. so, because I don't know if they still do that every, I don't know, I have no idea. Yeah, I think they do in, in more university settings. Like um, in high school, they're not doing that. It's problematic probably to bring in some person from outside to strip naked for high school students, you know. But no, uh, in college, no. <laughs> I would assume in a lot of programs, they're still doing it because it is such a beautiful way to begin to see the human body in a new way, but also to develop yeah. some confidence in your mark um, and all of that. Right. So you were studying at North, North Dakota University? Right. And then in 1964, I went to um, UCLA. Mm. I wanted to go to a, a warmer climate. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing. Wow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> bye yep, exactly cross the and country just in the middle of the cultural revolution yeah i was gonna say timing at, wow at that moment wow. right so um that was just a fantastic experience and i i spent nine years there mm -hmm. i got my doctoral candidacy but i shifted eventually it about a year I was doing art courses, but I shifted into art history. Cool. Yeah. What caused you and, to shift? Like, was there anything you can remember that kind of pushed you more toward art history as opposed to from the studio it, art practices? Yeah, I think I was lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Study art history is uh, pretty rigorous, especially I can imagine at UCLA. Well, well, I kind of backed into art history because my interest was contemporary art. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the involvement. Um, but I I liked thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I mean, I still make art. Um, but uh, I just didn't want the ma the materials that, that it was thinking was so simple. <laughs> And and um, <clears throat> my friends were pretty much creatives, mm -hmm. you know, they were artists. And so um, the discussion was always about art and going to museums together, going to all the galleries. And um, it was a, 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 a phenomenal education. Wow. I mean, I did study, of course, the classics. You know, there was a library at UCLA called the Belt Library of Vinciana, and it duplicated um, Leonardo da Vinci's library, plus every book ever on wow. Leonardo. And um, <clears throat> the the professor, Dr. Pedretti, was a Leonardo specialist. Mm -hmm. And what I learned there was detail. Mm -hmm. The fine, fine detail of, you know, like we we had a uh, uh, um, an assignment that to look through 
Leonardo's codexes for anything on jumping. Mm. That was my, that was what I had to do. Oh, wow. Looking through all these little diagrams. Oh, here's something on jumping. Oh, here's something. Wow. You put it together and Pedretti, who you could barely understand his English, right? Just was ecstatic <laughs> with these things, right? On, you know, whatever. So there was a marvelous education on art history. Yeah. My focus was always contemporary. Yes. And uh, at four o'clock in the morning when everybody would stop hanging out, right, it was decided that I should be a dealer and have a gallery, right? <laughs> All your friends like, all right, you're going to set up the gallery. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've got that assignment. Oh, right? wow. So that's kind of how that happened. Interesting. That's really interesting yeah. how like you kind of really yeah. connected with your intellectual curiosity and how that sort of yeah. drove you into study art history. I mean, studying Da Vinci, I mean, it's probably so incredibly enlightening because there's still so much mystery around him and what he knew and what he was really talking about, especially his use in geometry and symbolism. Um, he was definitely an enlightened cat. That's for sure. <laughs> so unlike yes yeah. it's unbelievable like Amazing. a polymath is sort of how you would describe him i mean he just could do everything he was an intellect he had intellectual prowess unlike anyone else his age he was making art in the most exquisite capacity with the level of detail and quality of mm -hmm. rendering but then he was also studying metaphysics and he, and the ancient yeah. greek philosophy i mean he was just talk about like some a you know, he was the Renaissance in some ways in terms of an embodiment of it. Yeah, yeah, completely. And um, there was a, an article recently in, uh, on, on that Leonardo may have conceived of E equals MC square. Really? And there is some some kind of marginal details that somebody's picked up and said, oh, <laughs> related. I would not be surprised. I mean, there's yeah. there we just all we know, all we can know of him is all the all the sketches and writings he left behind and anecdotes and stories from others around that time period. But we all know that doesn't really summarize uh, a full person and what their capacities actually were. Um, so I would not be surprised if he if he found, figured that one out before Einstein himself. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, he worked on airplanes and he yes. worked on like everything. I know. Was, so, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And so your so your friends seemed like to be the real catalyst for you to kind of plant that seed. Like, all right, you're gonna go start the gallery. You're gonna go well, deal was, the art. <laughs> then how did you it, go from also, there? Uh, let's see here. I left LA in 73 mm -hmm. and I, um, taught for two years at Michigan State University, um, modern art. Okay. And, um, and, uh, and then I went to New York and I knew, I, I always knew I was going to go to New York because that was the head of, you know, center of the art yeah. world, right? And I'm thrilled now to see Los Angeles pretty much bubbling up as as an equal yeah. center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, especially in the past couple decades, um, you've seen LA because a lot of amazing yeah. movements came out of Los Angeles, like the light and space movement that happened like in the 70s. Um, yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of amazing things that happen on the West Coast, but New York still seems to be kind of like. It's just got this like gravitational field to it. It just sucks everybody it's, to it. Yeah, it's that that place. I I don't know now how young artists are surviving. When I went to New York, hey, I mean, I mean, it was it was a set time when um, uh, the president, who I guess was Ford, uh, told New York to drop dead when it was going into debt. Mm. That was nineteen seventy five. Oh my gosh. And and it was pretty bombed out, you know. Nobody lived in Lower Manhattan, mm -hmm. and the Lower East Side was, uh, you know, you could squat in a building. I know a number of people who squatted and obtained buildings. Wow. Uh, I knew a, 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 a two artists, a Danish uh, woman and an Italian sculptor, both of whom unfortunately died of AIDS. Oh. 
but they a wonderful artists um lived in a in a in a building with no roof oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) how do you do that in the dead of winter in new york city i mean it's crazy this is you know artists are very creative yes they are exactly and resilient um that's for sure Yeah. yeah well the thing about the spiritual in art it's like in los angeles in the 60s i really see a resurgence of europe before world war one in terms of spiritual and art interesting i didn't separate art and spirituality to me they were the same i feel the same way yeah so when i got to new york it didn't take me long to realize you don't even talk about you don't bring it up Mm -hmm. you don't bring it up and that was uh, tough because that was my the gas in my tank. Right. I mean, that's what I wanted to work with was, you know, the art and spirituality. Can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. Why do you think that was? Like, what do you think caused this sort of bifurcation between art and spirituality? Like, do you have any insight or even just like maybe an intuition about what might have severed that relationship for people at that time? It's probably a very complex well, issue. Number one, no, it's something I've thought about my whole life. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, we live in, in a, a very materialistic age. Mm-hmm. Can't see spirit. Therefore, it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? But when you trace the trajectory of the spiritual and art, it's like, I came across an interesting factoid. I've studied pretty deeply about Kandinsky and his life Mm. and um he had to go to russia at the outbreak of world war one 1914 and he was there for about uh seven years seven years so when the when the czar and he was when he wrote that book concerning the spiritual and art which came out at the end of 1911 it was an instant global hit. Everyone read that book. Mm-hmm. Duchamp went to went to Munich and spent three months just so he could immerse himself in that atmosphere. Wow. And there's a copy of Concerning the Spiritual and Art of Duchamp's with, with notes. Really? You know? Yeah. So artists were, and Duchamp was an occultist. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And, um, and, then the war happened, Dada, it was pretty bad. Um, Kandinsky was discriminated against for being too soft, mm-hmm. too tender, because what was kicking in was the machine age, yes. and um, communism was very much anti-spiritual. I mean, you kind of like... And when the czar was um, assassinated... Uh, I'm sorry, not assassinated. When he, when the um, three hundred year rule of 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 the czar ended um, in 1917, that was February. Apparently, uh, there was an American there who was reporting and saying, immediately, you could not any longer talk about spirituality wow. it was machine it was materialism it was progress it was advanced it was a new age mm. it was you know and that was a throwback to something else mm. so you see in the 20s you know the the machine age you know uh, manifesting yep. And in the 30s was a very socialist, communist kind of time and, you know, people's thinking. And, you know, you kind of trace it like there's a letter that uh, Albers wrote to Kandinsky in 1939. And he said he was uh, very close talking to Diego Rivera, who said to him, don't don't mention that word. Mm. Do not mention spirituality. So, you know, then we get into the 40s, that's the war, and into the 40s, the 50s, abstract expressionism. They were still at least 
able to acknowledge the sublime. Yes, right? yeah, there we go. That's how we talk about it now. <laughs> you know, and your emotion. And like um, Barnett Newman did those amazing paintings on the Stations of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And I mean, any Newman painting you see on in front of you just are full of awe. Mm -hmm. But Well, then came minimal mm -hmm. art, pop, pop which is jokes and satire, mm -hmm. and then minimal, and which was my thesis, by the way, my doctoral dissertation was on minimal. Wow. Um, so like Donald Judd and that camp? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And it's funny because it's the two extreme poles. Right. In minimal. There's the, what you see is what you get, and no metaphor, no deeper meaning is just exactly what you see. Yes. And, um, and the other side, which is the the luminosity of of the, the spirit. Yeah. You, and some artists were still there, but but Judd was very you know uh, clear about his his thinking mm -hmm. and his approach. Uh, so I think it was the 60s where you you couldn't, well, already in 1939, Albers was expressing mm -hmm. that you couldn't talk about it. So by the 60s, it really took hold. And and it kind of, you sort of, I mean, there was here and there, I pulled some books, like there was the 1985 exhibition, mm -hmm. right, at the L.A. County Museum, and uh People asked Maurice Tuckman a couple years later, who was the curator of that show, what effect did it have? He said, absolute none, no, nothing, no effect whatsoever. <laughs> you know, because again, it was just a subject you you couldn't talk about. And in fact, you really couldn't talk about it much, except a little appearance here and there mm. until Hilma off Klimt. Yes. That opened the gates to at least be discussed exactly to begin to say see that this is that this work has power this work has relevance and yeah. um and it's interesting yeah. because helma was making this work even before kandinsky at least according to what we know about the records of her work so that's kind of interesting as well right that she was making this work you know because Kandinsky's sort of known as like the person who made the first like purely abstract painting um as far as we can tell in the western canon but that's nope. not the case nope. <laughs> and you know that reminds me that we don't know anything we make we can make any kind of claims and something's always going to come out of the woodwork and just put it on its head um there's it's yeah but that was a moment for sure. And I've actually talked to a few other artists on this podcast. We've all pointed to that moment at that Guggenheim show as, as being a very sort of like pivotal door opening for this conversation to happen because it really kind of went underground. The conversation was still happening, but it's not happening in the upper echelons of, of the power structures within the art world, the curators, the museums, the big time galleries, the big time collectors, the auction yeah. houses, um it was sort of like not addressed in a way it that was, um was yeah and everything i feel always happens for whatever some peculiar reason that we can't understand but we find ourselves here in 2021 or 23 what year is it <laughs> 23 <laughs> yeah, tell yeah. you yeah. you know that i was thinking the 21st yeah. century like we find ourselves here like bringing this back up again um, and I yeah. find it kind of interesting that like during the cultural revolution of like the 60s and the 70s, where people were engaging in, in spirituality, spiritual practice, not only through like psychedelic culture, but a lot of the Eastern wisdom traditions were flooding into the West, uh, gurus yeah. everywhere you looked, right? Yeah. So people were definitely deeply interested in it, but there was some level of society that seemed to shut that out. And so it kind of like really seeped into the underground in the eighties and the nineties. Um, but we're mm -hmm. seeing a resurgence of, of all that again, um, with spiritual yeah. practices, people getting engaged in meditation and yoga, interested in metaphysics, interested in the occult or in astrology, all of these things. So it's, it's, it's kind of yeah. amazing to me to see it all come together. And art is always such an important sort of uh torch to lead 
these these movements i feel i think art has a really important role to play art has a, 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 i think i mean we know that our culture is is having issues mm -hmm. <laughs> and um when i look at the movement of art and the acceptance of visual art from the time i became conscious until now it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Art has become accepted. And it was not basically, you know, uh, much like in the, say, in the 60s. The art world was tiny. Yeah. It was very, very, very small. You knew everybody pretty much around the world. You know who they were because you read the same magazines every single month. You read everything, mm -hmm. you know. And um, uh, now the world art world's gotten so immense that yeah. there's just no but <laughs> exactly with the internet and social media it's but what i've noticed like since um you know a lot of the talking heads on television is something uh you know the newscasting they have art behind uh -huh. them and you this is amazing they all do yeah and and art is to me whether it's music or um, dance or uh, a, a visual art, which is the most difficult to penetrate, mm -hmm. I think, um, uh, or poetry or, or whatever, is so important in our culture. Yeah. When, when the church has kind of lost its pizzazz, um, art is there and always will give you that, that lift. Mm -hmm. That is what it's about, is to give you a lift mm -hmm. and to open your minds and eyes and heart. Yes. That's how and I feel it, about it, too. So important. And I think it, it can do so many things. Like, on one level, like, art can be such an incredible way of engaging in dialogue, asking really important questions and getting people to yes. engage their intellect and talk about sort of intellectual frameworks of culture and society and identity. And those are really important things to discuss. But also I feel art can be sort of like a transcendent experience or a catalyst for like a new novel experience of one's own consciousness. And yes. so like, cause I think the intellect is a very important tool that we have within our being, this whole mind body system spirit that we have but it's not the whole game. And I see you, you can see a lot of art. Maybe that's sort of what kind of happened also in the 70s and 80s and 90s is that art got sort of co-opted by this hyper-intellectual framework. And, and so it was all about like intellect and logic and rationality in some ways. And Anything yeah. that sort of defied that was a little trickier for people to handle, and therefore it was not as considered. I'm not sure. I'm speculating, but that's my my feelings on it is some things well, in life are just not able to be explained through words, yeah, only through feelings yeah. and experiences. Uh, absolutely. And in meditative experiences, I mean, a lot of times... Um, like just art imagery is so inventive and and often beautiful mm -hmm. you know and to ponder on art i mean it's quite remarkable i wanted to mention um this book here the spiritual dynamic in modern art mm -hmm. just by christine spretnik who is a, a philosophy teacher mm -hmm. and in some institution and um, the fascinating thing about that book, which I should have read long ago, it was published in 2014, is that it, it's not the artists that suppressed the spiritual and art. It was everything around mm -hmm. it. It was the dealers, the collectors, the critics, the curators. They're the ones who didn't want to talk about mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I know. But the artists kind of, I mean, art is, is some form of channeling. Yes. You know, when you put your, when you sit down there, I mean, you're putting all your, everything that you know and believe and, and feel onto your, into your work. But if you have a little problem, you just 
you can ask and you get a little <laughs> yeah out, right? yes so artists are close to the spiritual mm-hmm. in creation uh, there's just you know when, yeah so it's all that superstructure around art that prevented that breathing uh aspect of it mm. to be more pondered yes that makes a lot of sense and i and i wonder like those those structures because when we look at if we take a real critical look at the sort of structures of of the art world quote unquote and the hierarchies of of that of those power structures there's so much money involved and so when there's so much money involved in it there's going to be sort of like very strong influence coming from players who have the most money in a lot of sense, like, because they're the ones funding the museums. They're the ones who are buying the work and collecting and paying for the gallerists. And so in a way it's almost like money has corrupted those systems in some way. And I think this is a conversation we're having largely in in the culture now is about the influence of of corporation on institution on government and how these these big money players are really negatively impacting our social structures and our cultural structures and i think the same could be said for those those uh, structures within the art world as well at least that, those are the parallels that i draw when i really think about it well picasso complained about it duchamp complained about it they all complained about the inf- infiltration of big money mm-hmm. but you know it's always been there it's always going to be there yeah. i'm looking at the art market as a separate sphere mm-hmm. um and it's a game yeah it's fun to play yeah you know it's fun to play yeah and um and that's a game that i wish i could play but i can't <laughs> <laughs> right but to, you know? but to your point about like how artists are are innately close to the spiritual, just through the virtue of creative process, like the act of creation itself is such a miraculous endeavor that the human species takes part in compared to uh, the animal kingdom. Now, you could make the argument like the way birds nest, the way they create their nest or the way that spiders weave webs. Those are beautiful works of art in and of themselves. Yeah. But what humans do is another layer of intention um, and sort of self-awareness that I think right. creates this powerful connection to the creative forces of the universe. And so by virtue of engaging in a creative act, you are aligning yourself with these principles of creation itself, which is a mysterious origin for all of us. No one can say for sure where this all came from. Uh, we have like our own personal experiences and um, connections yeah. to that. But so yeah. I, I totally agree with your point that like artists themselves, this was still probably happening in their conversations, but it was these superstructure, like you said, around it that sort of limited yeah. it from getting out to more of like a larger um level of conversation so to speak right and what i think is needed now which is why i think your podcast is very valuable is vocabulary just to discuss Mm -hmm. this the the spiritual and art Mm -hmm. and vocabulary to discuss the spiritual because the spiritual is pretty mysterious Mm -hmm. and ever more so than now that we don't have our our religious superstructure Mm -hmm. kind of yeah i have to mention an experience i had which just just blew my mind yes please um my friend ann mccoy who's a very interesting artist and and very spiritually oriented um goes to a russian orthodox church in manhattan and i went with her one time and I, I had asked her beforehand, well, how long is the service? And she said, oh, about three hours. I said, three hours? I don't <laughs> she says, don't worry, it goes by really fast. It was walking into a miracle or something. I mean, the color, the move, there were, I don't know, 20 priests with their robes and their Mm-hmm. and their <laughs> and, and everybody stood up 
and the room is just surrounded by icons and candles and there's a choir in the corner singing like angels mm. and you are transported this is a a service that hasn't changed since 354 ad wow it is the same same ritual wow. it was phenomenal wow. phenomenal and of course that was kandinsky's service mm. you know I, I i would just love to go to some of these um uh churches in in i don't know russia mm -hmm. Ukraine, Turkey, whatever yeah the, eastern the, europe the orthodox yeah. yeah yeah and that was a very transportive experience mm -hmm. and that's sort of what church used to be like right you know to really move us mm -hmm. Yeah. And point to these like magical spaces beyond like w the everyday quote unquote mundane experience. It's supposed to like envelop your senses, like through the, the various aromas, the colors, the garbs it's that they're wearing, like you're describing, even the movement of the body, right? Through the ritual acts. And I yeah. find personally like ritual to be such a powerful tool for us to get into different states of consciousness beyond sort of the everyday waking consciousness that we might be used to. And I think a lot of religious institutions understood this. And that's why you see within all kinds of religion, this importance of ritual and ceremony and the pageantry that can surround it. And and that's so cool that you were able to go with her and that you're able to like be open enough to the experience to really see what it was, like what was happening. Cause I could imagine some people going like, oh my God, three hours in this church, like, and then just the judging mind kind of. Well, that's how over. I went in, kind of, you know, <laughs> but you forgot time. Yeah. It was, it was timeless. Yes. It was out of time. And to your like, point also about like how now in this sort of contemporary culture, we're seeing, I mean, there's still definitely a swatch of society who is very religious and aligned with like more um, traditional or orthodox religious uh, practices. But when you look at, um, I would say, a larger swatch of society, most are a little disenfranchised from their religious oh. origins. Oh, totally. And they're looking for some kind of framework to have these kinds of experiences, to engage in the power of ritual, to have something that points their consciousness beyond maybe the uh, the rat race of modern material society. And so the seeking mind is emerging, I think, in the mainstream. And that's where I think a lot of the spiritual practices of the East are really attractive to a lot of people because it's something very practical you can do in terms of like meditation or even like yoga asana, um, moving your body or breath work and things like that. But yeah. I feel like there yeah. is this longing that I sense and I'm biased because I'm in this world. Like I've been deeply discovering myself through spiritual practice for many, many yeah. years. But I see that there is this feeling of longing in a lot of people for some kind of tangible way to connect with this fundamental mysterious component to one's reality. Um, and I think yeah. art is definitely a way of of facilitating that as well, even though it's not yeah. necessarily in a religious context. Um, the work yeah. that I personally am interested in and that I explore as an artist myself is finding a way to look at the symbolism and geometries and even the mathematics of sort of various forms in nature and how that's pointing to this sense of God or creator or spirit or intelligence that really runs the show. Um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and bringing that into my work as a way of sort of like honoring, but also learning about how yes. these things work. I yes. think you can't understand them unless you're actually applying them in some way. Um, yes. So we're in an interesting yes. time where I feel like we are ripe. We are ripe yeah. for us uh, transcendence. Right. Well, that's like the Hilma of Klimt show was the biggest attendance they've ever had amazing the, what does that tell you what does it tell <laughs> you yeah you no know, people want to know 
how to go what is the spirit where do you go how do you find out Mm -hmm. yeah how do you tap into that um and what's beautiful in my experience um through the various you know path that i've been on is that there are many entry points to it many different entry points and i think you have to really just open yourself first to the notion that you don't know what's going on and then you have Mm -hmm. to sort of engage this this sort of fundamental childlike curiosity to discover a new layer or dimension to reality that you might not have had access to ever, or that you just forgotten. I feel like all these things tend to be something we've forgotten. And, and the experience in my, in my life has been when I have a big opening or insight is like a sense of, ah, remembering, like, I knew that, like, I, this has always been inside of me. I've just, Plato, I've Plato so, all the way. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I've somehow forgotten. I've been blinded. I've been looking at shadows on a cave the whole yeah, time. Yeah. I never yeah. turned around and got to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious in your life, like, how do you engage with spirituality? Like, what are some ways in which over your life that you found a way to connect Obviously, art is a big thing that helps you connect, but even outside of visual art, I'm curious, uh, you know, for you, like, how do you connect to the spirit? Well, I have to tell you, um, I had a huge hit of Eastern philosophy when I was in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. because at that time, um, a lot of the gurus were coming, like, I was in a small lecture with Maharishi Mahesh Yoga wow. and uh, got initiated for free. Transcendental um, meditation. Mm-hmm. Wow. The, and then tra- the, the initiation was another experience I'll never forget. It was just, I don't know, the, the chanting, the, and I was by myself with the initiator. Uh, the, the colors, the chanting, the sense, the whole thing it was just marvelous then um swami sachidananda we went Mm -hmm. to a lecture and afterwards there was a little event at a house and we went to the house and we were meditating and i opened my eyes and he was he was levitating wow he was like way up there right oh my god (laughs) oh god and then um a friend came in and said hey there's this guru in Beverly Hills and he's got this big gong and he gongs and he just gongs you out of your body. (laughs) (laughs) I was on LSD, but you know, (laughs) so, um, started going to, uh, Yogi Bhajan Mm -hmm. who started, um, uh, Kundalini yoga Mm -hmm. in States and he had just arrived and he was, teaching in the back of an antique store in Beverly Hills. Incredible. <laughs> and I went every day for two years to those classes and, uh, and it's, it's breath work. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was on the beach on a swing, swinging away. And I heard these people down there saying, man, that girl's been swinging forever. <laughs> And it was like I was doing breath work and just swinging along, wow. and I didn't, you know. So um, I had a really good base mm-hmm. of of, of uh, yoga, yes, and um, have subsequently done many different things mm-hmm. uh, and and meditation. I don't want to say. You know, I I do it and then I drop it and then I do it and then I drop it. But I'm I'm pretty, you know, secure in my my rituals yeah. and 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 within the last five years or so, I've been immersing in Rudolf Steiner mm-hmm. and uh, that amazing material. <laughs> so much, yeah. So. Uh, I I I I would say I meditate three quarters of the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I had I had a really great experience once. I I was this was about fifteen years ago, and I I went God, what what's in your third eye? What's in the third eye? I closed my eyes and and 
boom, this, this, this being appears before me, a different reality. It was, it was more real than this. Mm. It, it, It had light that could only be called, you know, hyper, you know, electronic blast yeah. or, you know <laughs> whatever yeah. and uh and and that was pretty cool that's amazing because to see the spiritual world and to see the astral world you are totally changed 100 percent. yes 100 yes you know because it's not this reality it's a different place it's woven into this reality but it is not it is not the same kind of experience that we're having right now. I mean, I can totally yeah. relate to everything that you're saying um, because yeah. there isn't language to describe that experience. And I think that relates not only to like incredible spiritual experiences through meditation or even just like spontaneous. Sometimes these things happen spontaneously or even like in a lucid dream where you wake up in your dream and you're in a reality that feels more real than this one. Yeah. Or in big psychedelic trips that people go on now, um, and they've been doing it forever. Um, But in that experience, you're having the same sort of feeling when you come back, like that was more real than this, but how do I describe it? There's not a language or framework to describe it. Only way is you got to experience it. Like I can tell you about it all day, like the third eye opening and experiencing the spiritual light, you know, of consciousness in that way. But yeah. unless you experience stuff, you can't understand it. Just like if I were to speak with a person who's been blind since birth and I was the greatest poet who ever walked the planet, I could still never admit the experience of seeing the color blue to that person. I just couldn't do it. No matter how skillful I am with words, you have to see it for yourself mm-hmm. in a sense. And I feel that's the same thing with these things. I'm curious, I've never thought about this, but I know that with your eyes closed, you still see an awful lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if a blind person does see a lot. That's a good, I was using it more just as like an analogy or like a metaphor, but yeah, probably you never, you never know. Um, Because (laughs) people go on um, what's called like darkness retreats where they are in dark, complete pitch black, not a pinpoint of light for many, many days in uh, certain indigenous traditions. This is a big part of initiation for shamans. Um, but you also see it in like Taoist traditions, the tradition of going on a darkness retreat. And from what I've heard about it, I've never done a darkness retreat, but that after a few days, it's like your, your spiritual eye wakes up and like you are, seeing light and seeing things in different ways that you can't imagine. Um, I know just that there's so much that's possible just based on the limited, tiny little swatch of experience. I've had like the tiniest little pinprick right. of experience that I've had <laughs> through, through meditative states, through lucid dreaming, through psychedelic experiences that there's just so much more going on than I could ever understand. And that to me invigorates me with like a sense of like, I don't know, lightness and a sense of like okayness. Some people, when they have that big awareness, it can be anxiety ridden, like the the feeling of not knowing, but this is such a big not knowing that it's comforting. I don't know how to describe that any more than that. So. Right. Right. No, we're, we're pretty protected. I mean, we each have our little angels mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and whatever yeah, yeah spirit yeah. guides or um you think about your ancestors i think a lot about traditions who really emphasize the relationship to the ancestors and how important that is um mm-hmm. i think about it a lot for myself like i think about just the miracle of like all the little things that happened in all of my ancestors' lives, like from, let's say, thousands of generations, like every decision that was made, every experience that happened, if if there was a different thought or a different decision made somewhere along the way, I wouldn't be here. I'm a part of this miraculous yep. chain <laughs> of experiences in terms of I wouldn't yeah. be here embodied as Martin Benson in this way. Yeah. I'd be yeah. somewhere else, maybe. 
Um, and so that miracle is, is so beautiful for me to contemplate and this great mm-hmm. chain of life, this great yeah. chain of being, and there's no separation. There's no accidents yeah. anywhere you look, even if they feel like an accident, everything just feels so perfectly in alignment, but that's really hard to tell people when they're in the midst of suffering, when they're in the midst of real strife. And I think that's what also not only spiritual ground, but also art or various forms of expression can help give people a sense of how to move forward, how to move forward through the trials of life. Um, because it's not all, you know, love and light and rainbows and beautiful for for people all the time. And so those are here and there experiences. Mm-hmm. A little bit yeah. of love and a little bit of rainbow. Yeah. Mostly just strife. Yeah, <laughs> it's tricky, but I feel like we're here learning things all the time. And the more we can find a, a sense of like humility in our own evolution, like I think we and not take ourselves so seriously all the time. I think that's something I find to be really important as well. My mom used to yeah. tell me a lot growing up, or like even in my early 20s, like, stop taking yourself so seriously. And like, yeah. I feel like I'm finally starting to understand what she means uh, in sort of like yeah. deeper ways, even if it wasn't her ultimate intention. But I think that's yeah. important to like the humility to of like not knowing, but the curiosity to like explore. And our materialist world is really a tough, tough one because it's sort of bending toward nihilism. And so people can get caught on that nihilist bent of, of meaninglessness. And that can really exacerbate um, sense of isolation and loneliness and depression. And so I look at art, especially spiritual art, art that is intentionally try, trying to touch to these spiritual places as a refuge for people, as a way to point people beyond the trappings of materialist, nihilist, sort of hyper-relative culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's this other realm that has been posited, and I'm not sure if it's Steiner or who, the eighth sphere, mm-hmm. which if if a normal evolution is seven spheres, but the eighth sphere, which is technological, drops out of that normal evolution and and, and kind of is its own little corral. And it's kind of like, once you get in there, it's hard to get out, Mm -hmm. you know? And a lot of kids I've heard, they don't want to take these desk jobs with where you sit in front of a computer all day. They want to go farm Mm -hmm. or (laughs) something. That's great. As real as opposed to these, the AI that we're entering into. I mean, these are really seriously problematic areas Mm -hmm. and without that spiritual realm being available to us it's um it's scary it is like i I think like it's so funny with a lot of people who are into the virtual reality like wearing these goggles and when you see i remember i went to a um the van gogh experience this sort of traveling museum thing i have my own critiques on it so i don't want to bash it because i think any kind of art experience is better than no art experience but i remember remember when i was leaving there are all these people like sitting in chairs with these ai goggles on and it just felt so like creepy to me and like kind of apocalyptic and odd and um this this notion that we can replace the majesty of the living experience with a virtual one um, there are novelties to it, and I can see applications to it in certain ways, but I do, I am sort of very hesitant and also skeptical of the direction that AI and virtual reality and a hyper-digital age might bring us to, especially without wisdom, especially without the wisdom of the spirit to guide us, yeah. because yeah. I just... I don't know. It, it feels like it's turning into the movie, the, the matrix in some ways. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think we do need to counteract that. But I think a lot of people are feeling that too. I don't think what I'm feeling is, is sort of independent and on its own, like people are wanting to get back into nature, wanting to ditch sort of the rat race and the, and the cubicle and get into working with their hands, getting into the tangible world and getting into connecting with something that is real or seemingly feeling more real than these digital spaces that we've been brought up in. No, 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 absolutely understandable. Um, And it's, 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 it's wonderful to see the, the sort of the museum world opening to everybody Mm -hmm. Know, and then becoming more and more and more popular uh, and crowded. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up uh, or as a young adult, there were never people in museums. They were always empty. Wow. <laughs> and now you go, I well, the last time I was at the Metropolitan Museum in New York, I mean, it was sardine packed in the, in the lobby. Mm-hmm. I kind of had to squeeze by people. Yeah, I remember going there. <laughs> Which was like is that. a good sign, yeah. kind of. You know, but. Yeah, because people are lo- people are looking for meaning. People are looking yeah. for a sense of understanding where we've come from, who we are. Like a lot of times, we can understand who we are through our history. Um, that's not the whole picture, but it can give us a beginning to have insight about who we are and our place in the world. And so that's what's yeah. kind of the funny paradox of these times that we live in is that in this hi- hyper materialist, consumerist uh, culture that is dominating everything, people are looking more for meaning. You see, people are looking more toward. Uh, learning about philosophy or spirituality or engaging in, in, in art and going to museums and seeing shows. They're trying to understand, or even again, in the sort of psychedelic renaissance that's happening with all the incredible results from the studies for trauma and PTSD and, um, and depression. It's amazing. People are having tangible spiritual experiences that change their life forever in a matter of hours. Like yeah. what, what they experience in a matter of hours is doing what no antidepressant has ever done. Um, yeah. And so it's an amazing time. Yeah. All these things are coming together. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, we're seeing the you know spiritual and art becoming more apparent, like we talked about with Hilma and her yeah. show. But then even just like um, I posted something on Instagram the other day with Artsy um, and someone writing a, an editorial about the new generation of transcendental painters. And hell yeah, I was like so yeah. stoked. I made a post and I just tagged like as many artists yeah. as I could who who are in that yeah. space or or on the fringe of that space as I could. Just be like, yes, like this is the time where we can have yeah. these conversations, where artists who are making this work can have recognition and have a sense of place within the art structures. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. feel like it's an interesting paradox. You know, we can see... We can see the uh, the rabbit hole of of problematic experiences that come from AI and and from materialism and consumerism and this very divisive age. But on the same end, we're seeing people more curious than ever about what's beyond, and that to me is exciting. Well, what's kind of so fascinating is that spirituality. And there's a word that's even less acceptable, but it's related, morality. Mm-hmm. Morality is related of course, to spirituality. For sure. And, and the, the object is a sort of, um, you know, acceptance of other humans mm-hmm. or what they are and who they are. And uh, I guess the idea is love. Love's a heavy word. Yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, uh, that 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 and that is even less explored than spirituality itself mm-hmm. you know morality mm-hmm. how do we just be nice to each right. other you know, and understand the next person um and and that's kind of the key um to spirituality too mm-hmm. you know you want to grow spiritually we grow in our hearts exactly 
Yeah, ethically. That's why like, even in like the, if we speak to like a philosophical tradition, like yoga, we think of the eight limbs of yoga before you even begin meditating, before you even begin pranayama, before you even begin asana, samadhi, all that stuff, you have to have an ethical framework first. First, you know, no harming, no killing, you know, no killing, no yep. stealing, yep. all these, yep. you know, there's an ethical framework. And for me, morality, it's like when you when you excavate all the layers of identity down to its core of just conscious living, breathing, feeling entity of life that's inside of us, that we're all the same, the universality, like uh, beyond all the layers of identity and personal history, there is this essence of consciousness that is the evening of all playing fields. And when you re can recognize that within yourself in a deep, intimate, authentic way, you begin to recognize it in everyone else, everything else. And it's just from that recognition that I feel if it's especially if it's really integrated within your whole being, you can't help but be, be moral. You can't help but want to be kind and loving and want to be of service to others. So I think that's really where we have to get to is like, first discover like what it is and who it is we actually are underneath all the layers of identity that have been given to us or that we've been that we've received from birth um that to me is where the where the spirit ultimately will come from so mm -hmm. it's it's all there so i think what you're saying morality is an interesting way an interesting word to to contemplate as well like what it means in this world so like, for instance, Kanye West started a religion or re preaches or something, mm -hmm. right? But then he spews hate. I don't understand towards certain elements. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't get it. If, yeah. For me, it's when, so this, and you've probably seen this a lot in, um, over, over the years, just being engaged in spiritual practice and spiritual circles, and even, even engaging in your own personal spiritual journey, you start to recognize the, the ability for the ego to hijack the spirit. And it's when the ego hijacks the spirit is where you get sort of that messianic complex, where you get the hyper narcissism, where you get the sort of type of behavior that you're speaking to um and so that is sort of like where spirituality like it has no wisdom to it in a way because the ego has adopted it as its own and i think anyone who's engaging in deep spiritual work the some of the first levels is really getting to know your own ego and its tendencies and being able to dismantle the grip that the ego has i think about the 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 one of the most important texts in in yogic and vedic tradition the bhagavad gita and i think that's all about shifting the relationship with the ego where the ego is not the master but the ego is the servant to the spirit and so you'll mm -hmm. see that as well and we're going to see more of that as people start to engage in psychedelics and spiritual practice um, it's just a matter of just because of the volume of people doing it, you're going to have people who don't have an, the right kind of guidance, um, particularly, and the ego will hijack the spirit yeah. and and claim yeah. it as its own. Um, so that's, to me, what I see with someone like Kanye West and, and the type of behavior you see there. Would you agree with that? Like, what is, what's your I, experience? I think you're absolutely right on mm -hmm. there. You know, but the dichotomy was so blatant. You know, you can't preach the word of Christ and then and then hate people. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can't do that. No, you can't. Um, and hopefully people yeah. are wise enough to see that. I mean, I think ultimately it becomes, it just, it will self-destruct as we see what's happening with them. That's the funny thing about evil. Apparently evil just self-destructs mm -hmm. over and over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, what's also interesting is like this conversation within spirituality. And even you see a lot of artists talking about it in their work is this notion of duality versus non-duality um, and how these things are functioning or the, the notions of relative versus absolute and how these things are, are both working together. 
Um, that's really important too, because in, we live in a dualistic experience. That's part of, that's what sort of is the thumbprint of an earthly life is duality. You're in it. You're in the dichotomy of all opposites, good and evil. You know, that's a part of the learning that's here. But then within that space, there's a space that it, that is enveloping that of the non-duality where, the, where we see that these things go hand in hand. So ultimately, I think the evil does self-destruct over and over again. It becomes absorbed into the one. Um, but that's not the world we live in. Um, that's an experience you can have internally. But I think no matter what we do, this earth will be a realm of du dualism. And we have to be able to grapple with that. Um, and we have to be able to, in my opinion, we have to be able to find a way to live within the non-duality within our heart, within the du dual framework. We have to bring mm -hmm. that level of consciousness to our to our experiences, which is a, for me, it's a, it's a very... It's a very hard path. Um, I find myself falling on my face over and over <laughs> and over yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like my mom said, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta laugh at yourself. Yeah. Well, this is a great, I mean, this is an amazing conversation that we've had so far. I mean, we've been talking for like an hour and 10 minutes already. Just totally enjoyed it. It's just yeah. flying by. And I think there's more for us to talk about too, as we, as this starts to continue to grow, this movement of, of spiritual, of the spiritual and art is going to continue, I feel, to grow and grow and grow. I would love to have you back on the podcast at some point to talk and yeah, and to be able to speak to more of what we see happening as this evolves. Because I think we're at the beginning. I think we're in the very beginning of this, this transition um in in the art world and it's exciting as i was saying before i am thrilled that there's this interest among your generation because mm -hmm. among my generation you had to hide it mm -hmm. you know you really had to suppress mm -hmm. that desire to explore and make make public yeah so, Thank you. Yes. Thank, thank you, Barbara. Thank you for everything. <laughs> I feel like you know, you've been laying the groundwork for this. Like everything that's happening now is because of people like you who have been fighting in this space for so many years and been laying the groundwork and planting seeds, even though you might not have seen them sprout when you were at your height in New York, you know, fighting this fight. Like they're sprouting now. And it's because Trust me, my dear, yeah. I was in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad you're out now. And I'm just yeah, so too. grateful. I'm so grateful to know, to get to know you in this way. And, and to, um, I'm, I know there's more, more to come, uh, between the two of us. So thank you so much, Barbara, for your time today. And, uh, we'll talk soon. Blessings. All right. Same to yeah. you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Concerning the Spiritual and Art. Um, if you like what you're listening to, please uh, leave a comment. Uh, give me a rating on whatever podcast platform you're, you're tuning in on. And uh, help me get the word out. Share it with any friends or family, anyone you think might be interested in uh, what I'm doing over here. Super excited to bring a lot more of this content to you. Sending lots of love out to each and every one of you. Peace, y'all.